Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. And he called the twelve together, and gave them power and authority over all demons, and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learnt it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there are about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. May God bless the reading of his word today. Thank you, Kyoko, for reading God's Word for us. Uh, good morning, friends. It's good to be with you all today on this Lord's Day. As we come to hear God's Word, let's pray and ask Him to speak to our hearts. So let's pray together uh, and ask Him to prepare our hearts. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank You indeed that You are a God who speaks. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You haven't left us on our own, but You have revealed uh, Your will to us in Your Word. And Father, as we come to your truth, we hear about your Son, and we pray that you would soften our hearts. We pray that you would prepare our hearts by your Spirit to receive your Word. And we pray that your Word would take root in our hearts, that it would uh, bear fruit and bring great blessing and encouragement. So Father, we commit this time to you. Uh, help us, strengthen us by your power, uh, provide for us uh, words of truth, words of life, Help us to see Jesus, that we would turn again to him, that our hearts would find rest and encouragement in him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, the two-month-long circuit breaker is almost over, and I'm sure many of us are looking forward to the easing of the restrictions that have kept many of us at home. 
But as normalcy slowly returns to our lives, it may not be a case of life as usual. I think now is a good time for us to consider what God has been teaching us during this unusual season. How has he been growing our faith in him? I know for myself, it's been a particularly humbling time, not being able to do uh, even the simple things in life. Pastoring has been challenging, as I've not been able to meet up with many of you face to face, and I've missed your fellowship and encouragement. But even as I've become more aware of my limitations, I, I think God has also helped me to see more of how He is able to work, even amid these constraints. I've seen more clearly what God is doing through His people, among you all uh, at GBC. Many of you have shown Christ-like love for one another and for others, and I thank God for you. I thank God for those of you who work in healthcare, education, and other essential services who have worked self-sacrificially for the good of the community and nation. I thank God for the families in our midst who have persevered in love and patience amid stress, busyness, tiredness. I thank God for our whole army of volunteers. For example, our small group leaders, our AV and worship teams, uh, many of you have labored tirelessly to keep us going. And I thank God for many of you who have encouraged others through your love gifts, your gifts of meals, your cards, your phone calls, your online meetings, your numerous WhatsApp messages. I'm sure you have brought great encouragement and strength uh, to others. I thank God for those of you who have uh, volunteered to serve the guest workers as well, reaching out to care for those in our society that uh, perhaps have been marginalized and put on the fringes. Uh, I'm thankful for reports I hear of people turning to Christ and how God is using these uncertain times to draw people to himself. So much to be thankful for, even as I'm reminded of my own limitations. And then all this has reminded me of Paul's words from prison to Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. We may be confined to our homes, but the word of God is not constrained. It is still bearing fruit. It is still growing by the power of God. And that indeed is something to give thanks to God for. And we've also been hearing about Jesus' power at work in Luke's Gospel. Over the past number of weeks, we've heard about how Jesus preaches with authority. He speaks and we must listen. Jesus has the power over creation. The wind and waves obey him. Jesus has power over demons, over disease and over death. And in our text for today, Jesus shares his power. He shares his authority with his disciples and he sends them out on his mission. And they are to go and proclaim Jesus depending on his power and provision. Now that is the main idea in our text today. Jesus sends his disciples to proclaim him depending 
on his power and provision. Now, I'm not given to alliteration all the time, but I, I couldn't resist for this text. So we have plenty of P's in our points today. And that's the outline uh, for the rest of our time together for the rest of the sermon. So let's begin with the, the first point, the power for proclamation. Now the 12 apostles are sent once. Apostle means sent once. And their mission is to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. See that in verse 2. Now to proclaim the kingdom simply means to preach the gospel. Uh, that phrase is used in verse 6 as a parallel. Uh, the coming of God's kingdom is good news. It is gospel because God's chosen king has come and he has brought God's kingdom here. And God's chosen king has come to save. And that is the good news that we proclaim about the kingdom. Now the twelve are sent to be fishers of men. Just as Jesus had told Peter earlier in chapter 5, their mission is to catch people by preaching good news to them, by telling them of how God's king has arrived and his kingdom is here, and by inviting them to believe the good news of salvation. So that's how the apostles are sent to catch men. Uh, the disciples are given power and authority to cast out demons and to heal, to show that they represent this king, King Jesus. Uh, now what about us? Are, are we sent out on this same mission as well? Are exorcisms and healings also a part of our mission? I don't think so. Uh, John's Gospel says Jesus' signs were written down so that we may believe he is the Christ. So now that we have the eyewitness apostolic testimony in God's word, our mission is not to replicate Jesus' miracles, but rather to point people to Jesus through his word. And indeed, Jesus says at the end of John's Gospel, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And, and how are they able to believe? They believe by hearing the eyewitness testimony to Jesus Christ. And so we represent Jesus by speaking his truth and delivering his good news. Now, Jesus has all power and authority. And it's worth to think, why did he have to send out the 12? So surely he doesn't need their help to accomplish his mission. And what's more, as we read the Gospels, we realize that the disciples are ordinary men. Uh, they are not particularly clever. They're not particularly powerful. In fact, oftentimes in the Gospels, we read of how they are weak. Uh, we read of how they lack understanding, especially at key moments in the story. So of all people, why did Jesus send them? I believe Jesus sends them so that his power will be displayed in and through them. Uh, the twelve do not go on their mission alone. The Lord who sends is also the Lord who equips. It's, he says in verse 1, he called the twelve together and gave them. Gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Uh, as we come to this passage in Luke's Gospel, uh, we realize that it, it sounds familiar because we read of something similar that happens uh, towards the end of Luke's Gospel and in the book of Acts. 
So in Luke chapter 9, it's like a rehearsal for what happens in the book of Acts. In Luke 24, when the disciples are distressed and doubtful after Jesus' death, the resurrected Jesus appears to them and sends them out as, as his witnesses. And their mission is to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And their mission encompasses all nations. So it even goes further than Jesus' earthly mission. Now think about this. They are distressed. They are doubtful after the crucifixion. And this is a daunting task for a rather small group of frightened men. So what does Jesus tell them to do? Not go immediately, but he tells them to wait. Don't just go and get on with it, but stay still and wait. He says in uh, the rest of Luke 24, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, he uses the same word there again, power. Now, now what is power? So power is not like the force, you know, like we, we hear about in Star Wars. It's not an abstract force, but rather power in scripture is a person. And specifically, he is the person of the Holy Spirit, who is God come to dwell in his people. And we see this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now we need Jesus to empower us with his spirit if we are to live for him and make him known. We, we can't do it in our own strength because we have none. It is God's spirit who works through God's word to give life. We cannot have one without the other. So we don't have to choose between word and spirit. Rather, the scripture tells us we need both in order to carry out the work that God has called us to. You know, I love uh, the hymn Facing a Task Unfinished. And uh, you know, if you remember the first line of that hymn, it says, Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. So all this teaching about God's power and our need for God's power tells us that we must pray and ask God for help. We must pray individually, and particularly we must pray by coming together as a church. Prayer is a humble acknowledgement that we can't, but God can. In fact, praying together was a key practice of the early church. Corporate prayer was an important characteristic of the life together of God's people. We see this all through the book of Acts as believers would gather regularly to pray. And I think this encourages us to be present when our church meets for our monthly prayer gatherings. It's an important time in the life of the body where we come together, we ask of God. We ask Him to pour out His spirit and power to bring his gospel out to the nations. I love the quote by C.H. Spurgeon that really encourages us to pray. He says, if a church does not pray, it is dead. And I think that's absolutely right. Because 
prayer is a request to ask God to give life and only God can give life. Uh, this is, I, I think this is the reason why Paul says in Ephesians 6, he requests for prayer and he says, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now God designed the Christian life and Christian service to expose our weakness. Now Jesus is not glorified when we attempt great things in our own strength, but Jesus is glorified by even our most humble acts of service when we rely on his power. Radical dependence is not just good for us, radical dependence exalts Christ because by depending on Christ, we are showing that we need him, that we cannot do anything apart from him. So friends, don't lose heart if you feel inadequate to live for Jesus. You find yourself in good company. The Apostle Paul felt exactly the same way. And the Apostle Paul knew that God would use ordinary, unimpressive jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now picture this scene in your mind. Imagine going to a cemetery, walking among the tombstones, and then calling out, right, get up, rise, and live. Now that, that would be a pretty absurd thing to do. It would be futile and foolish to do something like that, unless we are sent and supplied by the one who has the power to raise the dead. Proclaiming the gospel is not merely difficult, it is impossible. And that's why Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? And then he adds, but our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency comes from the power of God's spirit, the one who gives life. Now, many of us have been sharing the gospel with our family and friends. And some of us, our hearts are breaking for a child, a parent, or a spouse. Now, some of us are discouraged as we wrestle with our own weaknesses and anxieties. Uh, we wrestle with our own fears as well. We struggle with the fear of man, and we fear losing their approval. Should we share the gospel with them? Uh, we are afraid that we don't know enough, and we are also afraid that we don't know what to say. Uh, this text encourages us to take courage, to know that Jesus is the one who sends us with his power. And indeed, God says to us, it is not by human might, it is not by human power, but by my spirit, he says through the prophet Zechariah. And the spirit is our ever-present helper. And Jesus has promised to give his people his spirit. And the spirit dwells in us and with us. And God's spirit empowers us to do works of service to him, to God for his glory. And God has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So God has given us power for proclamation. God has also given us provision for proclamation. I remember one of my first uh, backpacking trips. I, I love being out 
in the outdoors. Uh, I enjoy walking in nature. And on one of my first backpacking trips, I was rather inexperienced and not a little uh, gyasu as well. So I was uh, a bit worried of not having enough stuff as uh, I embarked on this backpacking trip. So what did I do? I packed too much. I overpacked. And you can imagine if you're backpacking and you overpack, what happens? Uh, my backpack was so heavy that it became a burdensome distraction. You know, I would hike past uh, really beautiful scenery, but all I could think about was the painful weight of my backpack on my back. You know, this burden that I couldn't get free of, this burden that had become a distraction. So instead of enjoying the scenery, all I could think about was the weight I was carrying. You know, maybe you've had that experience as well as you've been on a trip where you're, you have so much luggage that it actually hinders your enjoyment of the holiday because you're too busy kind of fumbling with all your bags and lugging them around everywhere. Now, we can get so worried about not having enough that it distracts us from living for Jesus. Now, this is why Jesus tells his disciples to pack light, travel light. He says to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. Now, just as we can depend on Jesus' power, we can also trust Jesus to provide for us. This, this passage invites us to humbly lay our burdens down and to know that Jesus is the one we can depend on, to know that he is able to provide for us. And in these instructions to the disciples, Jesus is saying to each one of us, don't worry. Don't be anxious about your well-being, what you will eat or what you will wear. I will take care of you. George Mueller was a 19th century pastor in England. Uh, George Mueller was well known because he organized a large ministry caring for orphans. And in his lifetime, uh, Mueller built five large orphan homes and cared for more than 10,000 children. Uh, you can imagine for uh, uh, just an ordinary pastor to take on such a huge work, this was challenging. And, this, and, and at times, it was a real struggle to make ends meet. But Mueller believed that the orphan houses existed, well, for the good of the orphans, but, but he said the orphan houses existed for an even more primary purpose. And they existed to show God could be trusted to provide. And he said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. At the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. And Mueller's words echo those of Jesus in Matthew 6. And Jesus says to us, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, these are especially precious words during these times. These are difficult days. Businesses are shutting down. Uh, jobs are being cut. Uh, there's great economic hardship and uncertainties. 
But Jesus reminds us that our Heavenly Father knows nothing is outside of His control, nothing is outside of His plan. Uh, the, the, this pandemic has not caught God had, had not has not caught God by surprise. He knows what we need, and so we can seek first His kingdom and be assured that He will provide for us. He is a loving Heavenly Father. So friends, think about this. How is Jesus calling you to go forth and serve Him in faith? Not because you have full certainty about life, but rather because you are willing to trust Him with your life, to know that He is the God who provides. So travel light. Because the cares and riches and pleasures of life can draw us away from following Him. And remember what Paul says in 1 Timothy, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Remember Demas, who was once a faithful co-worker of Paul's, but towards the end of Paul's life, this is what the Apostle says of Demas. Demas deserted the Gospel because he was in love with this present world. Friends, what worries and wants are keeping us from living for Jesus? Are we putting off living for Jesus and making Him known because we have too many cares and concerns on our hearts? And we keep saying, this is not the time. This is not the time. Maybe tomorrow. As the disciples go around preaching the good news, some will believe and also open their homes to the disciples. Now, God often provides for his people through his people. Uh, this means two things for us. We first, if we have believed the gospel, then we should be generous to support those who labor for the gospel. Second, we should also be willing to ask for and to receive help from God's people. Uh, this shows that we actually trust God to provide, and we know that He often provides for His people through His people. Now, in New Testament times, traveling speakers would go from house to house, getting money and looking for a nice place to stay. But Jesus' disciples are to not be like them. Rather, they are to be content and not go around from house to house looking for more. That's why Jesus tells them, whatever house you enter, stay there. Now, Jesus' disciples should also be prepared to face opposition. Jesus is very honest with them. He says some will reject them, and they are to shake off the dust from their feet as a testimony against them. Now, to reject the disciples is not just to reject men, but to, re to reject the disciples and their message is to reject Christ himself. So friends, when we hear the gospel, uh, we, we, we are meant to hear it not just as the words from an ordinary man, but as we hear the gospel, we're meant to hear them as words from God. And God is calling us to repent and believe in his son. Otherwise, we will face his judgment. And in verses 10 to 17, Jesus shows that he is able to provide. And when the disciples return, Jesus takes them to rest at a town called Bethsaida. But the, clouds, but the crowds keep following them. 
And Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus had compassion on them because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. So he doesn't turn the crowds away. He welcomes them and they follow him. Jesus is the good shepherd who welcomes us to draw near to him by faith. And after a long day of preaching and healing, it's getting late. So the disciples asked Jesus to send the people away to the surrounding villages to find food and lodging. Now, if you think about the disciples' requests, it's entirely rational and it's an entirely reasonable one. Uh, perhaps we can even say that the disciples were being sensitive to the people's needs and they wanted to provide for them by sending them into the towns to find food and a place to stay for the night. Uh, Mark's Gospel tells us that it would cost around 10 months salary to feed the crowds and clearly the disciples didn't have that kind of money. Now surprisingly, when the disciples bring this problem to Jesus, he says to them, you give them something to eat. Now Jesus wants his disciples to be channels of grace to others. But why would Jesus ask the disciples to do what they clearly are unable to do? Why would he put them in this rather awkward spot? It is to teach them radical dependence. The, the disciples are meant to see their own inability. I think this is one of the purposes for Jesus' request. And, and, they, and they realize this because they, they say in reply to Jesus, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. But the problem is that they're, they're so focused on themselves and their circumstances that they don't realize that Jesus' request is actually an invitation to them to trust him and to ask of him. And I think oftentimes Jesus requires of us what we cannot do in our own strength. Why? Not to make life difficult for us, but rather Jesus makes these requests of of us so that we will move out of ourselves and trust him and realize that we need him. So think about our prayerlessness. Why do we not pray more? Why do we not bring our uh, needs to Jesus more? Our prayerlessness may be a symptom of our pride. I think what's interesting in this story in Luke's Gospel is that the disciples don't think about asking Jesus. You notice when Jesus makes this request of them to feed the crowds, they simply tell Jesus the problem and their inability. But what they don't do is they don't ask. Maybe they're proud. Maybe we don't ask because we are also proud. Perhaps we are self-sufficient. This is why prosperity can be so harmful to our spiritual health. I think when times are good, it is easier to feel self-sufficient, to feel like we have life together, uh, that we have everything together, that we are fine. Uh, perhaps for some of us, it has taken a global pandemic to shake us out of our complacent self-sufficiency. And Jesus leads us through trials. He leads us through difficulties, not to break us, but to bring us to an end of ourselves. And this is especially good news for those of us who are struggling with pandemic burnout. 
It is often in the depth of our need that we find the fullness of Christ's provision. As Jesus feeds the crowd, miraculously multiplying the meager meal of five loaves and two fish. In fact, Jesus doesn't just meet their needs. He superabundantly provides. Luke tells us that the people all ate and were satisfied. They were filled to the brim. So much so that 12 large baskets of leftovers were collected. Now, these are not small baskets. These are bushels. They're they're, they're huge uh, baskets for collecting things. Jesus more than satisfies. And just as we can trust in Jesus to provide, we can trust that he is enough that he is the one who can fully fill us and satisfy us. So our inability is not an obstacle, but an opportunity for Jesus to display his glory in and through us. And he says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So friends, this is an invitation to us. Jesus welcomes us as he welcomes the crowd. And he calls us to come to him to confess our weakness, to acknowledge to him that we need him, that we cannot do anything without him, that we are utterly, radically dependent on him. And we confess our weakness to Christ so that the power of Christ may rest upon us, so that we might know the fullness of his provision. And Jesus invites us to come to him now, friends. To come to him and to experience that he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to his power at work within us. Friends, this is the spiritual logic of the gospel that confounds worldly wisdom. We experience Christ's fullness the most when we are emptied of ourselves. So how are we living? Are we trying to live out of our limited power and provision? Or are we living by faith in Jesus, trusting in what he is able to do? Have have our limited resources hampered us from serving Christ? What Jesus invites us to ask of him, to know that he provides. And God is calling us to move out of our comfort zones and to boldly go forth in faith, to serve him boldly in faith, trusting entirely in his ability to provide for us. Remember what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? So having heard of the power and provision for proclamation, now we move on to think about the person that we are to proclaim. The miraculous feeding of the crowd puts the focus on Jesus' identity. Uh, Who is he who is able to miraculously feed a crowd in the wilderness? And in the middle of our text, in verses 7 to 9, we find Herod asking this very question. Uh, News of Jesus' ministry had reached his ears, and different people were saying different things about Jesus. Some 
said that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Uh, others said that he was Elijah or one of the prophets from the past. So Herod asked, you know, who is this about whom I hear such things? And you notice that the question is the exact same one that the disciples had asked in Luke chapter 8 when Jesus stilled the storm. Now, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Now, in these chapters of Luke's gospel, really Luke is building up to a climatic question. Who is Jesus? Now, Luke has told us about his miracles. Luke has told us about his preaching with authority. Luke has told us about his power over demons, over disease and over death. And now Luke wants us to consider this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And indeed, all this leads up to Jesus' own question to his disciples in verse 20 of chapter 9. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? This is a question that each one of us must answer. It is not enough to simply say, oh, people think this about Jesus or people think that about Jesus. What we need to answer is, how am I thinking about Jesus? Who, who do I say that he is? If Jesus is truly who he says he is, if Jesus is truly the Son of God come in the flesh, if he is the promised Messiah who is God's chosen King and strong to save, if Jesus, if Jesus is who he says he is, the only Saviour and Lord, then I must follow him. I must follow him. There is no sitting on the fence. So who do you say that Jesus is? And will you follow him? Now, Jesus is greater than any prophet. Later on in this chapter, when Jesus' glory is revealed in his transfiguration on the mountain, uh, the prophets Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. But in that account, the focus is on Jesus. And God says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 in the desolate place recalls similar feedings in the Old Testament. Uh, you, may re you may recall how God fed Israel in the wilderness with manna after he led them out of Egypt. The fact that Jesus feeds the crowd in the wilderness is meant to remind us of God's feeding of Israel in the wilderness. And Jesus doesn't simply provide us with food for our physical lives. No, he does more than that. By doing what God did for Israel, Jesus shows that he is the Lord who has the power to provide and the power to save. And indeed, Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then he says these remarkable words to us. He doesn't just provide us with, he doesn't just provide us with bread. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus will lay down his life. His flesh will be broken. 
for us. And Jesus redeems us in an even greater way than Israel's exodus from Egypt. Jesus redeems by dying on the cross to free us from sin and death. He bore our sin and judgment so that we can be forgiven and made right with God. And Jesus rose from the dead to give us new eternal life, life that can never be taken away from us. And friends, he calls us to trust in him, to know his power and provision, and to be fully satisfied in him. If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, then surely he will graciously provide for us all things. So in, in this hour of need, as we face many uncertainties and worries, trust in Jesus. He has the power to save. He has the power to provide. Now, I love the old hymn, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. It says, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but you, you are mighty. Hold me with your powerful hand. Bread of heaven. Now, Jesus is the bread of life. Bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Jesus is the King and He is the one whom we are to proclaim. Proclaiming the kingdom means proclaiming King Jesus. He has come as a loving King, as a suffering servant, to seek and to save the lost. And now as disciples of Jesus, He sends us out to proclaim Him, to live for Him in this world and to make Him known, to make His name famous, to show His glory in the way we depend on Him in the midst of our weakness and our inabilities. We depend on his power and provision and we proclaim him. So friends, as we draw to a close this morning, think about this question. How will we live for Jesus and make him known? Have we trusted in him? Are we depending on his power and provision? Let's go to God. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed that you have sent your Son. We thank you for the bread of life. We thank you that Jesus is the Lord who provides for his people, even in the wilderness of this world, even in our weakness where we can do nothing to save ourselves, where we can do nothing to even live for you or serve you. Father, we thank you that you are the God who provides. You are the God whose power by your Spirit enables us to glorify your name and to live for you. So Father, we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would give us fresh courage. We pray that you would strengthen us anew to go forth in faith, to live for you, to make Jesus famous. We pray that you would enable us to lay our fears and anxieties at your feet, to no longer be anxious, but to know that you are the God whom takes care of us. You are the God whom we can lay our burdens down on. And so, Father, help us to come to you by faith, to see Jesus more that we might trust him and live for him. And we ask this in his name. Amen.